Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the very first episode in a series of podcasts to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Arsblog.com. On the 27th of February 2002, I sat down at my computer in Spain and wrote the very first Arsblog post. Here we are 20 years later and I thought, what can I do? What can I do to mark this occasion? What can I do to celebrate this, this landmark in the website's existence? And I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll get a JPEG of a disinterested ape and I'll mint it as an NFT and I'll sell it on the blockchain. And uh, no, I didn't think that at all. I thought the best thing for me to do after 20 years of Arsblog is to give you guys something, to give you a present. So what I've done is recorded 20 podcasts. That's right. They're all available right now. This is like binging on Netflix or some shit. 20 podcasts, each of which deals with a calendar year of Arsblog's existence. From 2002 to 2022, I will chat to a guest about the things that happened in that year, the ups and downs, the successes, the failures, fun times, sad times, trophies, no trophies, some amazing memories, characters, personal recollections, some things we might have forgotten along the way. And that's what we're going to do for 20 whole episodes. They're free and available for you right now in your podcast app on arsblog.com and on Patreon as well, of course. So let's get going. The year to kick us off is 2002, the very first year of Arsblog. And my guest for this episode is Amy Lawrence. Hi, Amy. Happy birthday, Arsblog. I know. 20 am years. I, am I supposed to sing? No, well, you can if you want. It's fine. Uh, but I'd have to sit here and just look at the ground like when someone pulls out a guitar at a party. You know that way? All right, I'll spare you. Thank you. That's all right. But 20 years, it's mad, isn't it? Singing in spirit, mate. Thank you. It is mad. And it's a testament to the kind of... Uh, the madness of what you what you try to do. Uh, you know, I remember when you started out. It's just this this thing on the internet. Mm. This this guy with a a, a load of crazy thoughts. And um, <laughs> now look at you. Still the same, I think. I yeah. think there's a, a whole load of people out there who are incredibly grateful that you do what you do because it um, it brings a semblance of of sanity and passion to this Arsenal supporting uh, life of ours. That I think. Um, it's like, you know, if you need a cup of tea or a coffee in the morning, you need Ask Blog. It's it's part yeah. of your routine. It's part of your life. It's part of what gets you going. Yeah, it's certainly keeps you going. Yeah, it's part of my routine. Uh, it really is. It's as much a routine as coffee and Ars Blog and everything else. Sitting down and and writing it, but like twenty years down the line, it, it it feels a bit crazy to be still doing it. I never thought for a second it would be, you know, something I still did or or what it is right now. 
But, I mean, going back to 2002, which is a, a, an interesting year from an Arsenal perspective, do you remember what it was like for you at that time, sort of juggling this uh, twin world of being an Arsenal fan, but also somebody writing about football at a time in Arsenal's history when it was just so exciting and exhilarating? Was that uh, a challenge at times to try and maintain some separation or boundary between the professional and the the fan? That's a good question. And uh, I, I think that, you know, as I've got older, I've, I've kind of, I don't know how much I've changed in my perspective on it, but I think what has always kept me going in one way is that I have had season tickets all the way. Mm. And that felt really important to me. Um, my season ticket dates back. I think my first one was maybe in 1990. Uh, and I very, I, I, I felt like spiritually it would be uh, like cutting off an arm to, to not have it, even if I couldn't use it every week. And also um, it felt like it kept my fandom alive in a way that would be much more difficult if, mm you know, you, you climb completely out of fan world and climb, you know, uh, utterly into sort of professional journalist mm. world. I could never do that. I, it's just, I think if I ever was forced to do that, I wouldn't do the job. I always felt that if I don't want to go to football anymore as a fan, then that's time to yeah. do other things. Um, and I've been so lucky, I think, that somehow I've managed to juggle the two and enjoy the two and get the benefits of both. Uh, I kind of feel maybe that one feeds into the other as well. I hope. Um, You know, clearly you can't get away with being biased, nor should you. You've got a job to do. But at the other other time, being able to maintain that kind of giddy enthusiasm, Mm. to be able to go and scream and shout and let it all out and hug your friends and hug strangers and be part of something bigger than just yourself and your own feelings about a football team um, has always mattered much too much. And still to this day, you know, you get the odd moment where you're at a game and it's a bit special and you just, you lose yourself in it. And that's the beauty. I think that's why we all fell in love with this sport and and our team. It's a tricky thing, you know, because a lot of journalists and reporters are are guarded about who they Mm. support for obvious reasons, because I think, like you say, there could be um, allegations or accusations of bias or whatever it is. But, you know, being able, as you have for all this time, to be sort of out as an Arsenal fan, but be as respected as you are as a a football writer and journalist is, is a testament to you as well. Um, and what you do and how you do it. So, Well, but it's funny because you talk about going back to 2002 and obviously now I'm in a role where my job is Arsenal all the time, but it very much wasn't then. Yeah. And in fact, uh, around about that period, uh, that, that the editor that I had at the time on The Observer was actually quite keen for me to not do too much Arsenal. So there was often occasions where, you know, there'd be a really, particularly talking about 2002, the one I remember really well is the Lauren penalty against Tottenham. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I was somewhere else. I think they made me go to a game in Manchester. I'd have to check the fixtures, but I have this vague feeling that I might have been at Man City or something. And listening on the radio to (laughs) the finale of that match and the penalty and just feeling like you could vomit all over the place. Because when you can't see it, especially Mm. as something about 
audio when it's a live event. It's even more disorientating. Yeah. And, you know, your brain's going mad with imagining and feeling like you want to kind of see what's happening in real time, but also that you don't and you can't wait to find out. And it, it's a very specific kind of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm feeling that actually that, that sort of almost the, the, the emotion of the situation, I, I think when the goal went in, I fell over <laughs> in the stands at Man City. I sort of sunk. My legs went. Uh. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of things that happen sometimes when you're, tra- you know, mm. obviously I did, did my job on the day, I think, whatever I was supposed to be doing. But at the same time, your mind and your heart is yeah. sort of somewhere else. And, of course, nowadays you probably have it on a screen. Um, well, yeah, that's it. You know, somewhere or whatever. But in, 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 back then, 20 years ago, we weren't quite as sophisticated. Yeah, I mean, that, that when you say it, it, it brings me right back because a lot of the games and a lot of the the way of keeping up with games back then was was via audio, audio only. Um, we had, I think Capital Gold was doing online stuff and before it became geolocated or if you were only in the UK, you could listen to it, you could listen on streams on the internet and people would somehow find a, an audio stream to listen to and that was a way of of following these games, quite a lot of them back then. It seems um, a bit weird now when you've got every minute of every game in HD on your phone, your tablet, your TV, whatever you want, but that was that was kind of how it was back then. So, But also I think you were, you know, if you think about the experience, you were kind of experiencing it on your own there if you weren't there. Mm. So, of course, nowadays with Twitter and other kind of social yeah. media, you feel like you're part of an online community mm. who are all going through the same thing and sharing their um uh, takes on everything that's happening in real time uh, almost you know it's it's just one small step away from being there you know yeah uh, which i think is amazing for people who can't get to games but but again 20 years ago if you were elsewhere you you tended not to be with other people and you were just going through you know was it a penalty like what happened da, da, da. It, it, instead of like 25 people instantly putting a message up that you can interact with mm. You would just think in your own thoughts and your own feelings. Yeah. I remember being, there was um, IRC chat rooms, basically, with people watching other people basically doing an early version of the live blog that we do on Arsblog, commentating, like, somebody in Australia would have the game on live TV, and in one window, there's a load of people chatting. In the other window, there's a guy typing commentary and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, that was that was how you experienced games, or certainly how I experienced a lot of games back then. But part of this, what we're doing in this podcast is to go back over maybe three or four or five little incidents from the year in question. We're doing this by calendar year. So I think you mentioned one that I had suspected was going to come up, and that was the Lauren penalty. But um, what else have you got for us from 2002? Uh, I've written a, I've written far too many notes for three or four or five um, moments to talk <laughs> about. I should have thought this through a bit more carefully. Um, I guess one of the things I would maybe talk about is Robert Perez. Yeah. Uh, your favourite. My favourite. And yes. many others. <laughs> and, um, you know, when you look back, I mean, he was player of the year that, that, that year. And one of the, one of the most beautiful moments of the season was on the last day of the season when the cup was, you know, glinting in the sunshine and there was red sort of confetti everywhere and everybody was joyous. And it was one of those beautiful, perfect hybrid days that it tended to be when there was a, you know, a presentation going on. And uh, he came out with his uh, 
terrible limp and his crutches. I think, you know, having had a, a, a on the, being on the recovery for a cruciate ligament injury, a really, really uh, cruelly timed one because mm. it clearly robbed him of the finale of this season where he'd been sensational. And also the World Cup yeah. for France in 2002, where France were absolute garbage. So he was obviously missed. Um, but he scored that goal at Villa, which I, I kind of think is known, well, should be known as the sort of finger waggy goal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it really summed up, I think, what, you know, how good he, he was, but also just how good the team was. Um, and what I like about this 2002 mm. team. I think in some ways it gets a bit of the, uh, I wouldn't say forgotten, that's the wrong word, but it's a bit understated compared to what preceded it and what followed it. Mm. Because the 98 double um, blew everyone's minds because we'd not really seen anything like it before. Uh, to to be as successful as they were with this brand new type of football, which which welded together in this perfect fusion, the sort of old style English um, resilience and uh, commitment with this new style sophistication of flair that came with the overseas players and with the sort of early itineration of, of Vengable. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the Invincibles comes after, which has its own special place in, on the Pantheon and in the history books. So 2002 sometimes gets slightly lost. Yeah. But in a way, it was the it was the really fascinating evolution of the team. It was the perfect midpoint between the 98 team and the 2004 team. So, you know, from 98 to 2002, you're seeing already the phasing out of the famous back four. Nigel Winterburn had gone. Lee Dixon and Tony Adams were there, but played significantly less in what was their final season. Lauren um, began to, you know, as we mentioned, uh, appear and make a big impact. Um, so Campbell was there, mm. uh, you know, that was a very big deal, but uh, at the time and, you know, moving forward, you know, Dennis Bergkamp obviously is still the hub of everything. It was quite magnificent, but Freddie had appeared where there had been, you know, and, and Pires where there had been Mark Overmars mm. um, and, uh, and Thierry was there where there had been sort of an Elke Ian Wright. He wasn't quite at his peak yeah. quite then, but, it was all. It was the. It was the midpoint, um, and then obviously two thousand three. That that team evolves again, and you see completely brand new back four. You see Gilberto by then has arrived to join Vieira, um, and you know there's a there's a, a different tone to that team as well. So, but two thousand and two was a, a a super team um, with you know some sublime football and also that great fighting spirit that was important and especially when you look at the last few games in the running how much that was needed mm. we'll come to that in a minute yes. going back to Robert Pires <laughs> yeah. so he scores that uh, wonderful goal where with with one sort of beautiful little flick he uh, he completely destroys Boateng who's mm. defending him leaves him wondering what direction he's facing <laughs> And uh, and then this delicacy of this lob, um, and then goes off in celebration, because you know in that run in everybody knew that every game really mattered, mm. and you look back at some of the highlights, and these were not easy games. You know that required a huge amount of um, competitive spirit to be coming through, 
And the tragedy is that the injury came, I think, about 10 days after. Yeah. And I remember Arson saying to me once that one of his greatest regrets, if you ask him about his football regrets, one of the greatest of them all was that he played Robert Perez against Newcastle in the FA Cup at home. It was because a replay knew, as well, wasn't it? Yeah, he knew that Perez was in the famous red zone or getting close to it. Yeah. And he kept. For, he said for weeks he'd been saying to himself, I've got to give him a rest. I really need to give him a rest. I need to not play him. You know, mm. I'll do it next week. I need to not play him. I'll do it the week after. And... Um, you know that he played, and then he 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 broke down and and was you know he scored, didn't he? Time. In that game, he scored. He did. He did. He early, scored. really early, I think. And then it was about half an hour in or something. Yeah, he got yeah. the injury. Yeah, yeah. But um, he he was a real symbol of you know when when he first rocked up, people thought he was a bit little bit soft. Mm. Um, and in that season, you could see he crystallized exactly what was great about these classic Wenger teams, which it was, you know, each player embodied sort of technical accomplishment with uh, fighting spirit. Well, that's it. I mean, there is that famous story, isn't there? That his first game um, when he signed was away at Sunderland and he's sitting on the bench going, holy shit, <laughs> what's this? And that perception that he's soft and also the perception that I think he had a, a bad first season was was slightly misplaced as well because mm. it took him some time to get going. But when he got going, you could really see that the, you know, the quality that he had and that season in particular was just unbelievable. Was it then, I think, that Arsene Wenger called him the, the oil in our engine and uh, <laughs> what an engine it was. So uh, what else have you picked from 2002? I've picked the telepathy between Dennis Bergkamp and Freddie Jungberg. Oh, yeah. I've picked that uh, golden little period where the pair of them were on their own personal wavelength. Yeah. And nobody else need apply. <laughs> um, and again, it was a, a slightly linked with Robert Perez because it was because of his injury. There was so much concern about how to cover for that. And Freddie just uh, took responsibility mm. and found a new element to his game. The runs he made were staggering. Uh, and and his, his edge, his ruthlessness in front of goal was just like a guy who was so far into the zone. Mm. You know, you'd need a lot, of, a lot of pulling power to get him out of it. But um, I, I watched a few of those games back. And if you fancy it, listener, do yourself <laughs> a favour and just go and find some of the highlights of some of those key matches in, in the run-in. And um, obviously the, the, the Lauren penalty we've talked about, but Freddie scored, I think, in that game as well from a bird camp pass. Mm. Um, and the atmosphere, you see Highbury and you hear the crowds and my God, there's a electricity. You could cry. It's, uh, it's such a strong nostalgic hit of, of something so beautiful if we were lucky enough to be there. Um, Bolton away sticks very, very strongly in my mind. Right. Uh, I went to that with a few mates um, midweek, trucking up to Bolton. Uh, they they were never the most um, salubrious host, let's say. They didn't like <laughs> us. We didn't like them. And um, the, the goal that, uh, that, that Freddie scores, the Bergkamp is coming towards the edge of the box. And there are five Bolton players around him. Mm. It's, it's not 
a million miles away from that famous picture of Diego Maradona yeah, when yeah, he's surrounded yeah, yeah. by yeah. so many of the opposition. Um, and it, he just finds the little the little gap just as if it was so obvious mm. and so easy. Precision. Be- because for Dennis it was, yeah. unlike the rest of the world. Yeah. But it, he just plays this super delicately timed and delicately paced little threaded ball that just rolls in between all these oiks. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and there's Freddie. And I mean, you couldn't have even seen, I don't even know how Dennis knew that he was making the run. You couldn't see him. He was almost from behind him. And he just appears and, uh, and, and slots at home. And, you know, the players go crazy. They know what's at stake. Mm. They know what they've got to do. And they're doing it. And um, that was a... a, a a real tense game. Uh, Arsenal won 2-0, Wiltor got another. And um, the thing I remember, apart from just the, you know, the enjoyment and that kind of slightly ramped up celebration that you get when you know something's happening. It's mm. like, when you know, you know when people sing that song, we're going to win the league, you know, yeah, now yeah, you're yeah, going to yeah. believe us. And when everyone's absolutely belting it out, now you're going to believe us. You know, it's coming from your gut. <laughs> and... Uh, it, Everybody knows what's going on. Uh, it's like an unstoppable force. And that was what was happening. They were winning game after game after game, no matter what was being thrown at them. It's, you know, the timing of that game is really interesting as well because it came just before the FA Cup final. I can't remember the exact reason why this particular season, the FA Cup final is usually the final game. It comes after the Premier League season uh, is completed. It didn't. So... It was FA Cup final, and then Arsenal had another fairly substantial game to take care of after that. So that Bolton game, whether it provided the kind of momentum or impetus or whatever it is, I mean, Arsenal have been winning games on the way to that, but still, just when you go away to a particularly difficult place and, and you come away and, and do what you do, what what happens next may be informed by that to some extent. Yeah, and I think also it was at the end of that game that the the maths was very clear mm. after the Bolton game it was like okay Arsenal need to get a point from Old Trafford to win the league mm. and because that because of the enmity and rivalry with Man United at that time and how how feverish it was uh, you know people have been having an eye on that Old Trafford game for a while because mm. you know it was always between Arsenal and Man United to slug it out in that period so it looked like that was going to be a big one. And then going into the Bolton game was the knowledge. You win and you can do it at Old Trafford. Mm. Not just do it, not just get ahead of, of Man United, but you can do it at their place. So I think there was that extra appetite um, about the Bolton game. And that's why. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I mean, I, I, the other thing that I remember about that game is if you go to the Reebok, which Arsenal haven't had to do for a while, um, that because it's one of these new prefab edge of town grounds there's a sort of big car park uh, outside um and in that car park after the game there was a party basically <laughs> and i remember somebody you know ha- had their windows rolled down of their car and was blasting like at mega volume i don't know whether they what they pimp their ride with but it was a pretty good sound system um you know kind of Arsenal classics so and 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 the um 
We Love You Freddy song was, was oh, one yeah. of those. And it, you know, as soon as it started, everyone's jumping out their cars. People are jumping onto the bonnets and, you know, <laughs> hugging in the car park and, and kind of operatic singing. And it, you know, someone got a football out and they were kicking the ball around. And <laughs> there's always a football. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it, it was just one of those. Spon- it was a spontaneous party, oh, basically, sure. in the car park at Bolton. And I think that's what part of what being a football fan is as well yeah. is those moments that are actually outside of the parameters of you know the 90 minutes in the pitch yeah where you know something just uh is like a happening yeah just spontaneous like yeah whatever everybody's on the same wavelength in the same yeah. way though and then and i think that's where people get a feeling that something's unstoppable you see mm. you get something like that and it's it just feels like it's inevitable and it, and it transmits an energy that i think is why these games go the way they do sometimes with winning teams. Yeah. Because they can feel it as well. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how much, you know, when you talk about Bergkamp and Freddie and that connection, how much of that comes from work on the training ground or how much of that is just sort of imperceptible awareness and knowledge of that energy that you're talking about of what they do on the pitch, just players having these moments, these periods where everything just works for them. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a huge combination that. So are we segueing from yeah, that okay. onwards? All right. So the next sort of topic, um, I, I, I'm going to cover the, uh, the two defining games in one through the medium of Ray Parler. <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> so Ray Parler's story of the four days that uh, encountered winning the FA Cup in Cardiff and then going to Old Trafford to win the league is uh, is always worthy of a repeat. So sure. apologies if anyone's heard this before. And ideally you'd hear it in Ray's voice because he does it best. But in a nutshell, um, obviously Ray had scored in the cup final. Uh, a, a goal of uh, of iconic brilliance. It's only Ray Parler. As has Freddie. But for Ray, being English and having sort of grown up, you know, curtains closed, watch every get a cup final, all the family, get the sandwiches ready. And mm. since boyhood, it was a, it meant a huge amount to him. Um, Arsenal had a plane to take them to and from Cardiff, uh, in the, which in those days felt quite fancy, but that was what they did. And... They got the flight, they got the cup, and they got on the plane to go back to London. And some of Ray's family were at the back of the plane. And he went down to talk to them. And I think his brother had, uh, you know, a few cans and gave one to Ray. And he was really excited and felt a hand on his shoulder. And it was arson. Ray, no drinking. We have a big game against Man United. You know, and Ray Farlow was thinking, like, oh, come on you know and Arsene looked at him and he went I mean it no drinking until after the game at Old Trafford so Ray gave the can back to his brother went back up to the front of the plane and that was that Mm. goes home takes his uh, wife out for a meal he's just going to have a quiet meal and they have a couple of drinks because it's with a meal but it's okay and before he knows it everyone in the restaurant is sending over (laughs) drinks He's just scored in the cup final. Sure. So ends up being maybe a little bit more than he was planning to have in the restaurant. But there you go. On the way home, they just 
uh, uh, stop off somewhere else and, you know, another couple of drinks. And he ends up having a much bigger night than he was going to. Uh, hey, uh, you won the cup. You weren't popped into the pub, you know, to just see a few mates. And before he knew it, X drinks later. Sure. And uh, I think he felt a bit rotten. And the next day they were due in to have a warm down at London Coney. And he said he was, he went in there. He was feeling very hungover. And he sort of lay down and half did a few stretches, you know, (laughs) took it very, very easy. Did, did what he could to make it look like he was there. Um, And on his way home, there was like a social club where he used to frequent, Mm. And his mate of his said, I'll pop in and say hi. Everybody was excited to see him because he'd scored in the cup final. And he went in, he said, the tequila was going down. (laughs) You know, before he knew, it's almost like, I didn't mean to, but everyone kept giving me these drinks. What Um, can you do? It's rude to refuse. (laughs) uh, And I think he got absolutely slaughtered. And uh, basically had a really big four days in between um, Mm. the cup final and the game at Old Trafford. So, Man United-Arsenal, this is the game to, to clinch the double and to have the glory uh, uh, of actually doing it at the home of your big rivals of the time. Mm. Um, and it was so vicious, that game. If you watch it back, the yeah. tackles are absolutely it's brutal. bonkers. It's brutal, isn't it? I mean, you know... If that was Granite Jacket Index, does not apply to this match because it was it was just even he wouldn't have dreamt of getting involved in of some yeah. of these challenges. Man United were brutal, and they you know clearly were under instructions that whatever you do, you just don't let Arsenal win the league here. Mm. That's it. Yeah, and um, they played that way, and Arsenal was so strong on the day. And you look at the at the physical specimens of the Arsenal players on the day, you know, they were giants. They were colossal. And uh, they, they absolutely, you know, classic fight for your right to party was, was, was that game. Mm. They, they fought. And once they fought, they played and then they scored and then they won the league at Old Trafford. Um, And Ray got man of the match which I must admit, I've forgotten, but uh, so he tells me. And so he comes off the pitch. He's like, this is the best few days of my life. I've scored in the cup final. I've come to Old, old, uh, old Trafford. We've won the double and I'm man in the match. And they're like pulling him over to have the, his interview and give him his bottle of champagne. He's standing over the champagne, like in disbelief that can life ever get any better than this? And at the end of his interview, there's another tap on the shoulder and it's Arsene. And Arsene says, congratulations, Ray. You, uh, you have been absolutely fantastic these last few days. You know, you deserve everything. But remember, it happened because I told you not to have that drink on the plane. <laughs> Imagine. I mean, it, it is... Um, it's perfect. It's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. I mean, it's one of those where, you know, when you do look back at that game, and I watched the highlights of it again <clears throat> recently, like you say, it's it's brutal. Um, you know, United uh, has some, you know, there's players on that pitch who were absolutely desperate for us not to win. And I think one of the, you know, 20 years down the line, you know, it, it's become a little bit... Uh, 
you know, the sort of uh, peace accord between Wenger and Ferguson has has sort of softened the edges of what was at that time an incredibly intense rivalry between the two clubs, between the players, between the managers, between the sets of fans. Like, United fans would have wanted their team to go out and fight the way they did to stop mm-hmm. Arsenal at all costs. Do and not Arsenal win the league. probably would have wanted the same Exactly. Reverse, this is what honest. I'm saying is like, okay, we know what United are going to be about tonight because, you know, let's remember, we can talk about United being very physical that night, but they were a brilliant team, an amazing football team, two amazing football teams um, at that time. But you do what you got to do to stop your rival winning the league at your ground because that's the ultimate humiliation, I guess. So it, to go out and perform like that, not just Ray Parler, but but that team, because I think there was no Thierry Henry that night, as far as I can remember. It was Canu and Wiltord who started mm-hmm. up front. Dennis Bergkamp was on the bench. You know, this was a, a huge effort to go there and win the win the double, win the double at, at their ground. Amazing. The double-double, as I think it was called yeah. at the time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I remember that so well. It was uh, it was a brilliant match. But it was one of those where I remember watching it on TV at the time and the 90 minutes took about 90 hours. You know, that way it was so, oh, my God, especially after we scored, especially after Wiltor jumped over Canu. We all thought, like, wow, who knew he could jump that high? But TV didn't show. You know, Canu was kneeling down if you remember. But yeah, amazing. And uh, what a goal he scored in the cup final too. Yeah. Yeah. Parler yeah, and Freddie's goal as well. Lee Dixon running around in the background with his arms mm. in the air. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, a classic Arsenal team, I think, in that era. Yeah. And um, if we're going to, I suppose, talk about any other business, um, you know, that team, uh, they really spread around the, the honours. Mm-hmm. So uh, Arsenal was manager of the year. Thierry Henry got the golden boot. Dennis Bergkamp got goal of the season, which we haven't even yet mentioned at Newcastle. Robert Pires was player of the year. I think Freddie got an alternative player of the year given by a sponsor or something. You know, it just goes to show how much quality, high, high quality there was all over the place. Um, And, you know, uh, there were a few signings in 2002 who would go on to make a huge difference for Arsenal. Colo signed that year mm. uh, in the January, um, but didn't play much until until later. Uh, and Gilberto signed in the summer, and you know went on obviously to to be a, a, a super player for Arsenal. And you know again, sort of fit into that uh, that team spirit that was there at the time. You know, you look when when we talk about when those names, when you mention those names, they're mm. all really what you would call Arsenal people. Yeah. They might have had other bits of their career in other places. But when you, you know, when you hear them talk about Arsenal to this day, they're Arsenal people. Yeah. When you see Gilberto and Lauren and, you know, on Twitter or whatever, they are flying the flag mm. today now as much as they did on the pitch then, 20 years later. Yeah, yeah, these yeah. are guys who came from, you know, Cameroon uh, and, and Seville in uh, um the case of Lauren, mm. uh, Brazil in the case of Gilberto, you know, Freddie came over from Sweden and he was like, I'm buying into this. You know, the, the, these guys just, Thierry came and learned everything there was to know. He would beat virtually anybody in a quiz about Arsenal, hands yeah. down. Um, we've hardly even mentioned Vieira. He became captain that year, taking over from Tony Adams when Tony retired. Right. You know, what a momentous 
thing that was, everybody thought there'll never be another captain like Tony Adams. And there wasn't, but there was a, you know, in the same way, there'll never be a captain like Patrick Vieira. He's yeah. just a different captain, but he was, a, you know, a phenomenon for the football club. Um, you know, they were blessed. We were blessed, I think, and they were blessed to be there and be part of it. And we were blessed to watch it. We sure were. Let's do one more because I think it's probably going to be a goal, maybe. Because there were a couple of really standout goals in that year, 2002. You've mentioned, obviously, Dennis Bergkamp at Newcastle. Um, a goal which still, when you look at it, is like, how the hell has he done that? Um, Nico stabbed his ass and putting the ball around him. But there was also a, a, a Thierry Henry goal against Tottenham in mm. 2002, which is uh, not bad as far as I can remember. Yeah. Was that the WhatsApp goal? Was that when he did that celebration? Was that not the Manchester United goal where he flicked it up and on the edge of the box? I think that might have been that one. I the I the remember. Spurs goal was where I he, remember this, the goal. Yeah, but, ran the yeah. length of the pitch and then ran all the way back up the other end to do the like the the famous like pose in front of the Tottenham fans. Right. I mean, that was yeah an epic an epic goal. Yeah. Um, from a you know a player who by two thousand and two. Um, was becoming the you know the defining Premier League player of the age. I mm. think in many ways. Yeah. Uh, I think when you speak, no matter who you speak to from other clubs, you know they will all think of that sort of five or six years of peak Henri, uh, with the knowledge that he was he was an untouchable player doing unplayable things. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think his his quality and his his uh, his winning mentality, which is fierce, um, was a big contributory factor in Arsenal. You know, elevating themselves and being able to come a team that was admired around the world. Mm. You know, this was a fairly new thing at that time. You know, the global Arsenal that we know of today, really, you know. That period between 98 and 2004, and this sort of slap bang in the middle of it, is why a lot of people chose Arsenal. Yeah, I think that's true. The, um, the quality of the football and the... Look, success success brings you fans and brings you acclaim and everything else, but the quality of the football, I think, was captivating for football fans around the world as... You know, games were beginning to be shown more widely, you know, via the Premier League and across the world. You know, if you're turning on the TV as a young football fan and you see this this side with Henri and Vieira and Bergkamp and Pires and Jundberg and all of these guys doing what they do, it'd be very easy to, to fall in love with that, wouldn't it? Mm. All right. Well, look, we will leave it there for 20 years or, or for 2002. Uh, thank you for uh, for reminiscing. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for all the uh, contributions you've made uh, on the podcast over these, well, podcast isn't quite 20 years, but on the site itself and for uh, all your support down these years. It's meant a lot to me. So thank you very much. An absolute pleasure, Andrew. Thank you for what you've done and here's to the next 20 years. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you very much indeed to Amy Lawrence. You can find her on Twitter at AmyLawrence71, at AmyLawrence71, and of course, writing about Arsenal in The Athletic. We've made all of these podcasts free and available to everyone because it just seems like that is the right thing to do when you're marking an anniversary like this. But if you would like to support what we do here on Arsblog and help us continue to bring you the best possible coverage we can give you of every aspect of Arsenal Football Club, from the men's team to the women to the youth, the reserves, tactics, stats, finances, and loads more, our Patreon is only a fiver a month and you get access to extra content content, uh, Discord, Chad, ad-free podcasts, uh, and loads more besides. It's a fiver a month. You can sign up right now at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. That's patreon.com forward slash arsblog. For now, thank you as ever for being here, for listening, for being part of this for the last however many years you've been along for the ride. We really, really appreciate it. And we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.